0: Hi, this is Dr. Nick Hayward. This podcast contains no medical advice. The discussion aims to raise awareness of the long-haul impact of coronavirus and COVID-19. For disease updates, please go to the World Health Organization's webpages. Thank you for listening. Please like and share this story widely as it may support other long-haulers. I wish you well. Hi, this is Dr. Nick Hayward. I'm here with COVID-19 long haul stories. Today, it's Bree's story. Bree, please take us back to how you were before COVID-19 even came along.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Bree. I am a certified nursing assistant. I worked in a long-term care facility. I've been an aide for five years. I love my job. I love being a caregiver. It's a very rewarding job. I worked long, long hours. I was working 60 plus hours a week before I had COVID. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of hours. Um, I'm a mom of three adult children. I live in upstate New York. Uh, before COVID, I was very active between work and I walked a lot. I went hiking with the kids a lot. I was able to do a lot of things that I can't do now, which is really frustrating for me.
0: Brie, thank you so much for sharing your background before. It sounds like you've a very active life, looking after other people and children. Uh, I mean, a lot to do, I'm sure. Take us to the time around when you first became unwell, what was happening and, and, and how you became diagnosed with coronavirus, COVID-19. I
1: first was diagnosed in early April. I was working um at the long-term care facility nursing home I worked at and in the middle of my shift I spiked a fever 101.9 fever so with the new you know COVID being so new and their new protocols they had to have me leave the building and I had to follow up with a doctor so I could be released to go back to work when I first went to the doctors they ran a flu swab which came back negative and then they wanted to do a COVID swab which I was thinking at the time, it was so new. I didn't think I had been exposed. We had no cases at work. So I was thinking, no way, but I'll do it. You know? So while I was waiting on my test results, which took a while back then, like about a week or so to get them back, I lost my taste and smell. And this is when I started thinking, maybe I really do have it. So sure enough, when they called me, my results were positive. So I did my two week quarantine. Which was really hard, um, you know, the isolation and with an unknown virus. That was the hardest part. You know, you're isolated with a virus you don't you know nothing about. And I remember three days into my quarantine, I was getting some respiratory symptoms, and I wanted to go to the hospital. Of course, being quarantined, you can't just leave your house and go. So I called the county to see if I could, you know, go to the hospital, and they talked me out of it. They thought it was more anxiety and told me, you know, to just try to relax. And so I didn't end up going. That was frustrating, you know, not being able to go. Um, I had really bad nausea, really bad body aches and pains. I think the nausea was really one of the hardest parts for me. It was really bad. Uh, I took Zofran for it, which gave me some relief. Um, the county called me every day. I had to give them my temperature every day. Uh, the sheriffs came every day. I had to wave to them out the window and make to make sure that I was following my quarantine. Not that I would want to go out and expose anyone having it, but they were great though. Like they they would drop off stuff on my porch. That was hard part too, not being able to get your, you know everyday necessities you need, like toilet paper, drinks, food. So I had to have family drop stuff off on my porch. It was hard not being able to see family too, that was the hard part, going two weeks without seeing
0: family. Brie, that's uh, fascinating to know how the quarantine was managed in your location. Uh, interestingly, you, you phrased it in a way that there was some degree of community support, which is great. Definitely. Uh, which is, yeah, that, and that's unusual because in a lot of communities we haven't really seen that. Um, but can I confirm then, were you isolating in your own home on your own? Was there anyone else around in, in the home?
1: I was isolating at home with my roommate, who was presumed positive. She didn't have a test, but because she was exposed to me, they presumed her positive. So she was also under the quarantine. She did develop right. symptoms, so we were presuming that she had it. I so it was then, yeah, I was then tested. Uh, I came back negative, so I could return to work. I decided to go to a different facility. That was the whole unit was. Um, COVID-positive residents so I thought having COVID I would be immune to it I'd be okay so I went back to work there it was three days into my going back to work that they routinely tested the staff there and they tested me and they called me a few days later and said that I was positive again but I had felt fine at the time so I'm like, what do you mean i positive? I feel fine.
0: <laughs> so that's quite concerning because you were unwell for how long initially?
1: It was a little over two weeks the first time.
0: Okay, so two weeks of being unwell, quarantined, isolated, did everything carefully. It sounds like your symptoms went away. Is that fair to say? Yes, they did. Great, and that gave you the confidence to, to go back to work, in fact, into a different mm-hmm. facility where there were COVID-19 patients. And surprisingly, here you are, you're positive again. Is that is that the story?
1: Yes. So I was okay. like, oh, I have to do another quarantine. It was frustrating. I did develop symptoms again a couple of days after my positive test. I didn't have a fever the second time I tested positive though. My symptoms were a little more mild. I did lose my taste and smell again. I had the nausea and body aches again. They were more mild, however.
0: Okay, and how long did those slightly milder versions of the symptoms last the second time you tested positive?
1: It was about two weeks the second time.
0: So another two week period. And did you spend those two weeks again reasonably isolated at home?
1: I did, I spent them at home with my roommate again. We were both quarantined.
0: Okay, and then that's astonishing. So you've, you've tested positive, you've recovered, you've tested negative. You go back to work, you test positive with symptoms again and then recover. What, what happened next?
1: After that, I was tested again so I could be clear to go back to work. I tested negative. I went and got the antibody test, which came back positive that I had antibodies to COVID. Three days later after that, I started feeling unwell again. I lost my taste and smell. I was, had really, really bad nausea at the third time. So I called the county. I'm like, I'm pretty positive I have this again. I know how I feel. I felt this way before. Can I have a test? So they tested me again and I tested positive again.
0: My word. So we've had three clear separate episodes of you being unwell, testing both positive and then negative. I think this is unprecedented because there was this assumption, particularly in the early days, that we were all kind of, you know, thinking about relying on antibody testing as perhaps t- telling us that we might be immune. Um, but in your case, there's this evidence that, yes, you had developed some antibodies, but you were testing positive and negative in, in keeping with your symptoms. Um, I think that's a clear message to to many to understand that this isn't something that necessarily just comes and goes and that's it. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that time period of the the, the positives, the negatives, and, and that cycle?
1: I was trying to find like a pattern. I couldn't find any pattern to you know that was going on because the third time that I tested positive, I hadn't been back to work yet, so I hadn't been that I knew of exposed to anybody again with COVID. And the second time I was pretty sure being on a COVID unit, that's where I got it from. But the third time, I I don't know. And I found it interesting that the third time they didn't mandatory quarantine me. They said I was um, a residual positive. They didn't think I was contagious anymore. So they didn't quarantine me the third time, but I did choose the self quarantine because I'm like I have symptoms I don't want to risk you know spreading it you just don't know
0: it actually sounds like you've been very considerate careful and responsible throughout this entire period so okay that that was um that was astonishing did you recover well after the third time
1: I did it was I think it was a quicker recovery period the third time about a week
0: okay so Now, the the key thing for you, Brian, I I think this is the the most important part of your journey is, unfortunately, you haven't recovered completely. And in fact, you now have new symptoms that some of your own clinicians believe are likely due to long-haul COVID-19. That's been quite some time for you since you first got diagnosed in April. Could you talk us through what's happened since your acute initial illness?
1: So in July, I started developing neurological symptoms. My COVID positive negatives were between April and June. So in July, I started developing the neurological issues. They started with, I had very bad pain in my legs and feet. So one night I couldn't take the pain anymore. I went to the emergency room. They ran a bunch of tests and they said, everything's fine. Sent me home. So the third, I'm sorry, the second time I went to the emergency room, I had numbness on the left side of my face. So I'm thinking stroke, you know, it just made me very nervous. So, and I had numbness in my left arm. So I went to the emergency room. They were thinking maybe Lyme disease. They ran a test that came back negative. They did an MRI to rule out MS. Um, They sent me home. They actually did put me, while they were waiting on the Lyme disease test, they put me on antibiotic for Lyme disease just in case as a precaution. When it came back negative, they took me off of that. So it was just frustrating not having answers, having all the tests and no answers, no diagnosis, wondering what's going on, you know?
0: Tell us more about the, the symptoms of pain in your hands and feet. Um, that, that sounds quite concerning. Could you maybe describe exactly what happens to your hands and feet, please?
1: It is. Um, it would keep me up all night it was so bad. I have like a burning hot pins and needle feeling in my feet and it goes up to my knees and then I get it in my hands. That The hands started really bad recently. Um, and then like I get really restless legs too at night and nothing seemed to help the pain. Ice, I ice them and that gives me some relief. But, so I went to the emergency room for a third time and... Third time I went, they they ran a bunch of tests again and because I had tremors really bad. I, I developed tremors and I had tremors really bad for like two hours they were going on. And so the doctor there was very helpful and he said, Well, we think this is essential tremors. Follow up with your doctor, which I did. My doctor put me on a beta blocker to help with the tremors, which was helping at first, but now I started recently to get them again
0: okay that's astonishing so you've got quite a large number of neurological symptoms you've described there just to summarize describing this these pains in your hands and feet uh, the tremor of course which is movement or shaking and then at times as well this this numbness in in your in your face Uh, anything else that you've noticed in terms of your nervous system
1: my range of motion um I'll show you this hand if I try to raise it This one I can move fine, but the left side, if I try to raise this hand, this is as far as I can go. So I've lost a lot of range of motion in that side of my body.
0: And I hope you don't mind me asking, Debra, because it's it's really, really clear. Um, Does the tremor change as you move your arm higher as well?
1: It does, as you can see right now, because I'm trying to use it. I'm starting to get the tremors in my hand. The left or the right side is fine. I do get tremors occasionally in my right side but the left side seems to be more affected now.
0: And is that tremor in your hands and your feet, or is the tremor more just to do with your arms?
1: In my arms and my hand. I can feel it like in my voice sometimes. I can feel the tremor. Or When they stop, I can feel like a vibration feeling still in my arms.
0: Wow. And if you don't mind me asking, sort of how long, how many sort of, times of day or how long do these episodes last or is it kind of there most of the time for you
1: it varies so much like I'll have a day where I won't get any at all but recently it's almost every day I can't like pinpoint a certain time of day or I do re- recently I realized like heat triggers them if I'm active even walking like up the street, maybe half a block and I start getting tremors, which is frustrating because I used to be so active and now, you know, I try to do that and I get the tremors. And also with my foot pain, you know, I can't walk far, even standing too long. Recently I've started to get really bad redness in my feet from standing too long.
0: My word, Brie, this is astonishing to see. Now I have to ask the, the, the really important question, if you don't mind, how do your own clinicians feel about this do they think it's related to COVID-19?
1: They think it is um, so little is known now about it so it's just really frustrating to not have a diagnosis and at first I'm thinking oh maybe it's stress maybe you're distressed that's why you're getting tremors so it's just frustrating not having answers and not
0: feeling like I was heard at first. Yeah, I can imagine that's it's very challenging for everyone because, you know, not feeling heard is terrible as a patient. But for clinicians too, they're sort of trying to make sense of something that is understandably poorly understood at the moment. Um, but I, I just remember before we, we started recording this, you, you did share with me some information that your clinicians have actually been quite thorough in, in looking for other possibilities. And you mentioned yourself, you've had, for example, an MRI scan of your head to look for uh, any problems directly in your brain, such as multiple sclerosis. Um, did they look into your immune system at all? I think you mentioned that.
1: They have, because autoimmune does run in my family, so they did autoimmune testing and that all came back normal.
0: Okay, so with that in mind, it sounds like, although they're not sure, uh, it it, it sounds like they have actually done a lot of testing for a lot of things and managed to exclude a lot of the obvious causes of the neurological problems. Um, I understand you're undergoing some investigations in the future uh, for small fibre neuropathy. Maybe you could talk us through a little bit about your understanding of that, please.
1: So at first I had an EMG to see if I had any damage in the large nerves and that all came back normal. So my most recent neurological n- neurology appointment, they ordered me a small fiber neuropathy, um, skin biopsy, I'm sorry, to test for small fiber neuropathy. And, um, I do that next month. I feel almost positive by the symptoms and everything that I have it. And part of me, like, I don't want to have it, but I just want a diagnosis. I want to know what's going on so we can treat it, you know. And I worry about, like, is this always going to be an issue? We just don't know yet. It's so early. Like, is this going to be a long-term problem? Is this something that's temporary? Is this something that's going to progress? Like, just not knowing,
0: yeah, and that's really important to consider at the future. And I'm so sorry that you had this much uncertainty with your symptoms. And for those that might not know, a, a small fibre neuropathy is essentially the, the nerve endings in hands and feet uh, have some problem. We often don't fully understand what the problem is, um, but it, it's it's you know it's, it's something that's worth looking into for you because it might tell us uh, the explanation for why you have these these tremors and the pain uh, even if it doesn't really give us too much more information as to why it's happening is is that fair to say maybe you could share your understanding of of small fiber neuropathy
1: i've done a lot of research on it lately and my symptoms do go along with it and i am thinking it's something from covid because before covid i was you know healthy i I had no issues at all. And for this to come on right afterwards, I'm pretty confident that that's what it's from.
0: And if you don't mind me saying, Brie, you're you're in your thirties, is that correct?
1: Yes, I'm 30. sorry
0: i just had a birthday 38 no that's good well i do hope you have a happy (laughs) Um, birthday so yeah you're in your 30s and as far as you've you've told us you you were not in a high risk category you're not someone that was labeled if you like at the start of this pandemic as being someone who would be at very high risk and how do you feel about that messaging now you're in the situation you're in
1: i feel like even if you're not high risk, you know, everybody has to be cautious and wear your mask. You know, I know there's a big debate about that, but like, take precautions because COVID doesn't discriminate, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very clear message. Uh, COVID-19 does not discriminate. And it was, uh, I can understand the the, the logic behind sort of trying to manage risk at the start of a pandemic, but uh, it's not universal. And I've said many times that, unfortunately, we all respond differently to this virus, um, which is extremely challenging. Would you be willing to share a little more about how you feel about the future with regards to getting back to your work or getting back to sort of an ordinary life? Have you any thoughts on that at, at this time?
1: I'm really hopeful that I can resume, you know, doing normal day activities, especially going back to work, but like just everyday activities, you know, being able to go out with the family and do stuff without having pain in my feet or getting tremors and just feeling generally unwell being able to do like housework doing simple tasks around the house you know it's really hard now it takes effort taking a shower like heat really really brings down my nerve pain so simple things like that
0: yes of course I think that's important for us to recognize I mean I I said this to you earlier um, before we started recording that we sort of we take for granted, you know, the, the ability to use our hands and our feet. Uh, like you say, that's a great example, using, you know, taking a warm shower uh, and knowing that these day-to-day activities are, are prohibited by your current circumstances. I'm genuinely sorry to see this. And I must confess, it's something that, like myself as a clinician and other clinicians, we don't quite yet understand. And I'm just so grateful for you highlighting how neurological conditions can indeed occur after COVID-19 as part of the the long haul for some patients. Um, has there been much support from the support groups online? Uh, have you how have you found your access to to support so far?
1: I'm in a couple of support groups, and they've been so helpful. Just knowing that you're not alone in this, and Not that you want other people to be going through this, but knowing that you can relate to somebody else.
0: Yeah, I think that's key, isn't it? I mean, if we can share our journeys, then somehow that that brings a sense of connected, um, relatedness, and I think it's we are all in this together um, in different ways. Everyone has their struggles with COVID nineteen, or even if they don't have the the virus themselves, you know, that there will be some challenges in their life, undoubtedly. And um, but I think you know, someone in your situation with this much uncertainty around your health, it's um, it's it's very. Very concerning, and I think it's great that there are some out there uh, who can help. And on that topic, how have you found the clinical community? How are the healthcare providers? Uh, have you had uh, good experiences with healthcare providers, or has it been, you know, difficult at different times?
1: It's been difficult at different times. Um, the hard part is like having my primary in neurology be on the same page, communicating with each other that's been very difficult managing my meds because one manages one med, one manages the other. So that's been very difficult. Before COVID, I, I took one vitamin and now I take so many pills a day, I'll show you. All right, this is like a, what I take in a week now and it's just really frustrating.
0: My word, so that doset box you've just shared there, the, the medication dispenser, that is entirely since COVID-19.
1: Yes. Before I took a vitamin D supplement, that's it. Now that's
0: everything I take. And that's interesting because there is research emerging to suggest that if if you are um, topped up with uh, with vitamin D, then you may be, you know, staying more likely to be well and, and less likely to have severe illness with viruses. Um, but uh, again, if this is not universal. And although there may be trends, you've just shown that actually you know, there can be long haul consequences for even people like yourself who look after themselves uh, and were very, very well back in January. Um, Brie, your story is is just extraordinary. Um, I, I feel like it's a privilege to be able to talk to someone who so candidly shares their healthcare concerns. And this has indeed happened very suddenly for you. I'm so sorry to see so many changes so swiftly in literally the space of a few months um, do you have any other messages for society considering there are some out there that really aren't taking this seriously mm-hmm. what would you say to those people out there
1: I just want to, to let them know that even I, we hear so much about like people not surviving COVID and even if you do survive like these are these issues are real People have, not even just neurological like I have, people have cardiac issues and so many other issues we're seeing now. It's real.
0: Absolutely, and I think you mentioned earlier the importance of wearing masks, the importance of, of, as you did, quarantining at the right times, really thinking about society in this. Um, And clearly, as your story shows, yes, certain people are at greater risk, but actually everyone can be affected by COVID-19. It's a devastating uh, disease to have as a consequence of coronavirus. Brie, thank you so very much for sharing your story. I would be glad to stay in touch. And um, I think all I can say is that, that we really do wish you very well and are so grateful for your, for your sharing today. Uh, I do wish you the best and thank you once again.
1: Thank you so much for letting me share.
0: Thank you for listening. Please like and share this story widely as it may support other long haulers. I wish you well.